Hey there, Super Sober Heroes. It's your host, Sober Steve, the podcast guy. And before we jump into today's episode, I want to take a brief moment to ask for your help to shape the future of gay A. Over the years, this podcast has grown and evolved as I've grown in my sobriety. And recently, I've been investing wild amounts of time, money, and energy to find ways to level up this podcast so it can get heard by the people who need to hear it. I want to take a brief moment to check in with all of you, though, to see what you love about the current show and what could be better as I'm growing and moving forward. In the show notes is a three to five minute survey for you to complete. I kindly ask that you pause this episode and take the time to complete it if you haven't already. You are kind enough to give me 20 to 40 minutes of your time each week when you listen to these episodes, and I want to make sure it's time well spent. So please let your voice be heard. Thanks, SoberPod, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to Gay A, a podcast about sobriety for the LGBT plus community and our allies. I'm your host, Steve Bennett-Martin. I am an alcoholic, and I am grateful for being able to show up for loved ones now. As of this recording, I am 607 days sober, and today we're welcoming a guest to share their experience, wisdom, and hope with you. Welcome, Craig. Hey, my name is Craig. I'm a gay man. I'm a husband, a son, a brother. I'm a caring friend. And I'm an alcoholic addict or someone who identifies as someone being in recovery. Today, I have been in recovery for 333 days. Congratulations. So Thank you're getting, you so much. You're getting up to your year, huh? Yeah, yeah. I'm a month out. Month I was out. Say, which means maybe I'll have to rearrange our episodes so this comes out right around your anniversary. <laughs> That'd be wonderful. But yeah, my sobriety date is February 26th. Oh, excellent. Well, congratulations. And Thank you. What, tell us a little bit more about what you like to do to keep fun or the hobbies you might have found in sobriety. Oh, there's so many. So the the first and major thing is yoga and meditation. Mm-hmm. Yoga for me is just cathartic. It keeps me physically active. I do it almost daily, six times a week. Other than that, hiking. I love getting out into nature, just kind of being one with the world mm-hmm. and, you know, observing alone, just, you know, going to a coffee shop and just watching the people. I remember being an alcoholic and an addict. I I was so inward. I, I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything around me. And now I see so much. And then weirdly working. I actually really love my job. I really love doing what I do. I'm I actually just finished working probably about five minutes ago. So I'm I, I love doing what I do. That is excellent. And so now that we know you a little bit better, why don't you jump right in and tell us what it was like with your, with your journey with alcohol and addiction? Something I've learned is that our stories are not unique, uh, mm-hmm. but people are. Uh, but my story is very classic. I started drinking when I was young. I was 13, I think, when I got drunk for the first time. And it was amazing to me. And I don't think it was amazing because of the actual feeling. It was amazing because I felt like I was involved in a community of people when doing it. I was at my stepsister's graduation party and it was just like, oh, I can hang out with people and I can do this and I can feel like I'm a part of it. And I'll talk more about that later. But You know, from there, it escalated over time. It went from drinking to uh, smoking cigarettes and drinking to all of the above plus weed. And then when I was in college, I got into coke. And then when that wasn't enough, I got into meth. And it just it 
I, I got out a few times, but I never dropped the drinking. And I always ended up coming back to partying and playing is, is really, you know, a hot topic in the gay culture. And uh, I was definitely a part of it. And it ultimately led to several rock bottoms. But finally, back in February of last year, I decided to go to rehab. Excellent. And what was that experience in rehab like? It was amazing. Life-changing. I, I tell everyone it was probably the the single most defining moment in my life. I, I don't know what happened, but something changed inside of me. And I feel like I finally understood what was happening inside my own body. I, I, I went to a wonderful treatment center in Tampa, Florida called River Oaks. And it was I was there for 45 days. And uh, it, the first three days were awful. I slept the majority of the time. And I remember people would come and check on me. And I just didn't want to get involved with anyone. I just was like, you know, what? I'm going to sleep through these 30 days. I'm, I'm just gonna, you know, get out and I'll be fine. And I quickly learned that I needed to take advantage of that opportunity. I I had one good shot at this and this was it. And I got out of my room after day three and I met the most amazing and wonderful and life-changing people I've ever met in my entire life. And I've probably been surrounded by them my entire life, but I never actually paid attention to them. And here I, I had to, I had no choice but to be around these people all day, every day. It was a big treatment center though. There was about 120 of us. It was a mix of men and women, and it was more of an outdoor campus. So I was outside the majority of the day, which was awesome. Florida sunshine is wonderful. I'm in the North. I am in Buffalo, New York. So it's cold nine months of the year. Yeah. So I knew that some Florida sunshine would be helpful. That's excellent. Yeah, it's it's my ears perked up when you said Tampa, because I live in Sarasota, like about an hour, like 45 minutes to an hour south of it. So I was like, I didn't even know there was one up there. So it's good to know it's close. Yeah, there's a ton of rehab centers in Tampa, Florida alone. But mm -hmm. River Oaks was by far just the best one I could find. And it had LGBT programming, which was really important to me when I was finding like where I wanted to go. Yeah, for, I can totally understand that. And what was life like after getting out of rehab or treatment then? It was unreal. I, 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 when people say they were born again after getting sober, I, I didn't believe them. I, I just, it didn't make sense to me. I'm like, eh, like that's, that's not actually what happens. But it really is like all of a sudden you just have this beautiful, clear view of everything around you and the things you want and the hope and the like, it, it's all there. It's all there. And I just couldn't get enough of it before I didn't sleep because I was scared to fall asleep now and, you know, drugs. But now it's I, I just there's so much to do and take advantage of. And I absolutely love it. Yeah, I, you can sense and like feel your excitement coming off of you about, you know, recovery. But with, with all those positives, what would you say are some of your favorite parts of being sober today? Favorite parts, joy and laughter. It's and it's real. It's not this like fake, you know, hey, I'm smiling because I'm supposed to be smiling in this scenario. It's this this guttural laughter and enjoyment of everything around you. And 
other than that, just connecting with people, like having genuine connections with people you wouldn't normally, people you wouldn't normally want to or think you wanted to connect with. It's just this genuine exchange of human emotion. And finally, being able to remember things. Yeah. That's actually really nice. I, I have many times been able to win arguments with my husband these days because I'm able to say, no, I remember exactly what you said. Yeah. And it's it, it always catches him off guard. Yeah. And you mentioned your husband a couple of times now. What came first, recovery or marriage? Marriage came first. Marriage came first. So that was, that's probably been the toughest part of my journey is so many, you hear over and over, don't get in a relationship for a year. Don't get in a relationship for a year. And I'm like, I don't have that choice. <laughs> like I'm, I'm married. Like mm-hmm. it, it's not like I can just put everything on pause. Uh, but in a way, me and my husband have come together to come to almost like a mutual understanding. So one of the hardest parts that I have to deal with is me and my husband don't live together full time right now. Mm-hmm. And we haven't since before I went to rehab, actually, as our, you know, our marriage was basically falling apart and in, in towards the end. And I had moved out and we were, you know, steadily on course for divorce. And then I went to rehab and I got out and it wasn't this welcome arms, like, I'm so happy. Like it was, it was like, all right, like now the real work comes and it's, it's been hard, but it's also been wonderful. I don't know how to, how to explain it. It's so nice to actually be able to communicate in a way that is real and Mm. isn't fake or trying to get something out of someone else we're we're both able to say like this is what i want and need and uh, you know whether or not the other person agrees with it is okay because you know we're different people and we're not always going to agree on the same things yeah i i can certainly relate and i know what you mean because there was a lot of healing needed to be done in my marriage when i got sober as well because we were quickly falling apart mostly because he was tired of my shit and cleaning up after me and caring for me. And so, you know, with how, with how bad it got near the end, like I had like, like you, like, I was just like, I fell in love with sobriety, like fully. Like I was like, this is it. This is the answer. And I was like, I'm never going back and like straight on a, and you know, he was supportive like entirely of it. But at the same time, I think like he spent a good portion of those, especially for six months, like waiting for the other shoe to drop like waiting for me to slip or waiting for me to not have it like work out. And then on top of that, like the act of like making amends or making up for all the shitty crappy things that I did to him wasn't like fun, but it also like after it was done, like felt so rewarding. So yeah, yeah, it really, it has been. How long have you been married? Six years? No, longer than that. Yeah. Like six or seven years. Okay. It'll be four for us in May. Oh, okay. Excellent. Yeah. I know we've been together now a little over 10 years. So yeah, probably seven years. I'm going to re I'm going to choose my new answer. Seven years. Hope you're not listening, hubby. <laughs> no, he's been very clear. He's like, this is your podcast. We have one together on movies. So he's like, we could talk about that one. And then this one is for me. That's <laughs> awesome. Excellent. And how do you feel your sexuality played a role in your addiction? Oh, I've had trouble with identity since I was very young. I I knew from a young age that I was gay, but 
you know, growing up in a classic small bubble town, you kind of deny that for a very long time Mm -hmm. or until absolutely necessary where it's like, I'm obviously gay. There's no getting around this. But for a while, I I did whatever I could to fit in. So I became this chameleon and that kind of carried through me till very recently. I moved to New York City when I was 18 because I felt like that was the place where I was going to be able to be myself and it was all going to make sense. And it did. But I I wore this mask of overconfidence when I got there. So a, a lot of people used to say like, Craig, People think you're intimidating. And I'm like, why? They're like, because you're you're so comfortable with who you are. I'm like, it's because I haven't been for years. Mm-hmm. And but that ended up coming back to bite me because I became so overconfident and I felt like I was so suave and debonair. And you know, that leads to being invited places. And all of a sudden I was out partying and drinking all night long. Promoter life is very big in New York City, especially for college kids. And I quickly fell in with that crowd. So I, from the time I was 19 till the time I was 22, I think the most I ever slept in a night was like three hours. And I was falling in to this habit of getting involved with people over substances. So Prior to college, I was with a longtime boyfriend. I kind of followed him to New York City. He went to NYU a year before I did. So I I naturally wanted to be there. He was a dancer. I was an academic. It was this perfect match made in love heaven. And uh, I always thought like, this is it. Like I have met my my high school crush is going to be my man for the rest of my life. And uh, That quickly came to an end because I all of a sudden was discovering new things about myself when I was in this pool of a bunch of unique different people. I went from being this really awesome, caring lover to being so hateful towards myself, but it was outward, right? So I hated him for him not appreciating who I was and me having my own journey. And I look back on it now. And it was in fact, me just not being accepting of who I was and what was going on. From there, I started to be in a period of serious relationships, like six months here, nine months there, because I I just wanted to be loved. I, I wanted someone to love me and I didn't love me. So how could that have possibly happened? And I would spiral after every single relationship and I would dive into drugs and alcohol. And finally, I just, I I had burnt out and, you know, I finished college and I said, I need to leave. And I came back home to Buffalo. You know, I got quickly involved in the party and play scene here in Buffalo. Ironically, I didn't do it in New York. I I looked back on it and I was like, oh, like partying and playing. That makes so much sense. That was happening all around me, but I had no idea what it was. And it, it... it wasn't a big scene here. It is now, unfortunately, but it it slowly but surely just sucked me in. And I identified so much with it because I felt like I was connecting with people again. You know, I I would spend days, you know, high and drunk with them. And it felt like, oh, we have this beautiful connection. When in reality, it was just focused on like, where are we getting drugs and alcohol from next? And I just... 
I, I look back on it and I was like, what was I thinking? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I've had several STDs, didn't care. Mm-hmm. I had, I've wound up in the hospital several times, didn't care. I sold my body, didn't care. And I look back on it and I still don't really care because it led me to where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've come to terms with the fact that I can't change it, but I, I was a broken person who didn't have an identity or didn't understand his gayness until recently. Yeah. And what's it been like kind of understanding that and discovering that now in sobriety? I feel like I know who I am now. You know, I'm still learning things every single day. It's, you know, for me, I still consider myself very early in recovery. I have spent a lot of time getting to know me and actually living apart from my husband has helped me do that. I was an extremely codependent person and now I'm almost the complete polar opposite. Which another side of the coin that my husband's like, okay, you're you're like going too far. Like mm-hmm. let's let's bring it back a little bit. I need my husband back. And I'm like, okay. I, I finally like who I am. Mm-hmm. It, it's weird. I, I like the fact that I'm unique and different, that I have this sordid past that led me to this place of, you know, strength that a lot of people don't understand. I mean, there's a ton of us, don't get me wrong, but there's also a ton of people that don't understand like what it means to to say no, to remove yourself from situations, to you know, say no to going to the party because like it's just not the right day to do it. Um It's given me a lot of clarity on how I feel about sex, intimacy, and love. I I used to be the least committal person in the world. I would say I was committed, and then I'd be cheating on you. Or I would say that I was in this emotionally, and I'd be completely detached. When I wouldn't be cowering in the corner, stifled by anxiety, I'd be turning to alcohol, drugs, or sex to feel better about it. And now my thoughts about sex and intimacy still change daily. I've I've remained committed to not making any harmful decisions mm-hmm. until it kind of sorts out and shakes out into less of an ebb and flow for me. One one weird curious thing is that since I've been in recovery, my senses are extremely heightened, like almost like superpowers. Like, yeah. I don't know how to describe it. I can hear things like miles away. It's but one of the awful things is my sense of touch. Mm-hmm. Like I I used to be a very touchy feely person. I, you know, public displays of affection was like my love language. And now it's rare that I want to embrace with anyone, let alone my husband. And it's it's not trauma based. Trust me, I've worked through that with mm-hmm. my therapist. No trauma there. But my my skin literally just can't handle the sensation of me not knowing like the pressure or what's going on. But and also like temperature, my my body overheats very fast. So I'm just like, I need space like and that's been interesting because my husband has gone from being used to me needing affection to now I like I can I can go without it. And that's been the toughest thing working on a romantic relationship Mm -hmm. in the least to say. No, I can certainly understand and relate to that. Not with the su- not with the superpower thing. That sounds really cool, but like I, I do know that for, for for mine, I've noticed more with like smelling, like and like especially when it comes to like drugs, like in the, in the air. Like I could tell you if someone five blocks down the road is smoking a joint, but not. I don't have the hearing yeah. as much, but I think it's because I've always had selective hearing to begin with. 
it, it, my my husband would agree with you is that I have selective hearing. Like I, I could probably hear him saying something now in his office. He's probably like rolling his eyes and I could hear it. Yeah. But when I, I could be sitting right next to him and he could be like, Craig, Craig, Craig. And I'm like, what? And he's like, I've been calling your name for six minutes now. And I'm like, it has not been six minutes, but okay. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. And what are some things that you do in your daily life to help keep you sober? I I do a lot of things, but I I think the the main point I want to get across is routine. I I wake up every day at the same time. I'm up at 6 a.m. on the dot every single day. And even when I don't want to wake up at 6 a.m., my body wakes me up at that time now. So I... I'm always awake at 6 a.m. I practice yoga and meditation daily. I make my bed every morning. I shower every morning. I try to get out of the house at least once a day. I work remotely. So that is kind of tough sometimes when you're working a long day and then you have to force yourself to go out for a walk or to go to the coffee shop or something like that. And then I always will connect with at least one person in recovery, whether it's just to check on them or they're checking on me. I try to pick up the phone and talk to someone every single day. Yeah. Connections hugely helpful in my experience. And what's one piece of advice you would give to someone who's freshly sober or sober curious? For me, what I've learned is that one size does not fit all in recovery. And I I think most people can agree with that. You know, 12 step programs work for some people. They don't work for others. For me, it's been this giant conglomerate of different recovery programs, different sober active communities. I've done AANA recovery. Recovery Dharma and a host of other recovery resources. I personally have trouble with the word God. So I, it's been very tough for me to consistently subscribe to a 12 step program. My the LGBT meetings that I've been to that I go to regularly here in Buffalo and the other cities that I travel to have always been like my saving grace because I noticed that that's a, a common theme uh, amongst us. But Others may disagree. I don't. It's always been a tough thing. An organization that I have found a lot of benefit from is called The Phoenix. I don't know if you're familiar. It's a sober active community. So it's it's a free resource to anyone who identifies or supports someone in recovery. And it allows you to take free virtual or in-person active classes. And their only requirement is 48 hours of continuous sobriety. Like, how easy is that, right? Like, you, two days into being sober, you can get your butt out of bed in the morning at 7 a.m. and take a yoga class for free. And it's with a ton of people who identify as in recovery. I have met some amazing people through that organization. And it, it has been my saving grace because it got me active and it got me with a community of people that, you know, we weren't talking about just being sober. We were doing something together. And that felt great. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I started up like locally sober socials every couple months for the yep. the, the LGBT community because I was like, what else is there to do in town but go to gay bars? And then there was not much. So like every other month we could choose somewhere different. We just picked we're going to do we're going to cre- be creating clay pots for Valentine's Day. <laughs> so that should be fun next month. That's so sweet. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And oh, 
no matter, like you mentioned, there's so many different ways to recover, but no matter what one you have, you generally find like one or two quotes or mantras you like to live by. Do you have any favorites? Favorite quote to live by would be the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm -hmm. That is a good one. That's that was mine for the longest time too. I mean, it probably still is, but like, that's my favorite. Yeah. Excellent. It resonated with me. I, I heard it for the first time in rehab and I was like, huh, I'm like, I don't agree. And then I realized I'm like, no, like I've been connected to nothing for years. Not not even like my closest friends I, I've been disconnected from. And the second I stepped into recovery, it's like those connections miraculously started repairing. Yeah, it's been amazing. Like, similarly, like for me, like learning how to make like real genuine connections, because like before I got sober between like the kind of work that I was doing in sales and everything, I was always surrounded by people. So I was like, yeah, I'm perfectly connected. Like you need like a referral for a home health company. I can text one in a second. But like they were all people that like wanted me like for business or because I was the fun guy at the networking events that was always half in the tank because he showed up already drunk. So, you know, none of them would like show up to my funeral if I got hit by a bus tomorrow and so like it's been interesting like learning what it's like to to build real genuine connections in recovery excellent and thank you so much all right craig well any last words of wisdom or advice for our listeners i would just say that sobriety doesn't have to be misery mm-hmm. uh they equated the two for so long and it's just so not true i was poorly informed mm-hmm. and i i think the world is too that it doesn't it is not misery Yes, it certainly is not. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your your sharing your story with us. It was a pleasure getting to know you better and just see how excited you are about the program. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Excellent. And stick around because we'll have our post show Patreon listeners. Oh, and how can we find you if someone wanted to follow you on like Instagram or something to reach out and say happy one year? That would be amazing. You can find me on Instagram at Craig James 1289. Perfect. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And thanks, listeners, for tuning into another episode of Gay A. Head on over to the Patreon feed so you can check out more of Craig's experiences in sobriety and recovery. And if you're interested in sharing your story, getting involved with the show, or just saying hi, I'm an email away at gayapodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at gayapodcast. Be sure to follow us wherever you're listening right now so you can get these new episodes when they come out every Thursday. Until next time, stay sober, friends.